Welcome to another episode of Family Goals with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay. This is part two in our interview with Jeff Foxworthy. So tell, tell us how you became a Christian. Oh, I was seven years old. Uh, so your mom grew up in church. Well, and, and, and even my dad. My dad was there then. Uh, that was, that was, they split up when I was like nine. Um, and I was in church one Sunday sitting there listening to the message and, you know, good old Southern Baptist church. They're probably playing just as I am. And, and I looked at my mom and I it was the invitation. I said, I'm going. And my mom had me by the collar, but it was, I mean, it was so, I, I, to this day, it was just, it was like the Holy Spirit was pulling me out and going, I'm claiming you, Hmm. come on. And my mom had me by the collar and she said, you're too little. You're too little. She wouldn't let me go down. Well, being Jeff, I'm raising, <laughs> raising hell the whole way home to the point that they called the preacher and said, he's mad. He wants to go down, and we're saying he's too little. So the preacher comes over to the house, and he and I sit there and talk. And the, the preacher goes, he knows what he's doing. And that was Sunday afternoon, and I said, we're going to Sunday night church because if the world ends this week and I end I'm up go- in hell because you didn't let me go down, <laughs> we're going to Sunday night church. And we did. And, and I went down. And so from that moment, I, I just felt like, for lack of a, I was claimed. Um, but I had a real struggle because like I would look at these people in the church and it was that straight line. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss. But, 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 and and I go, oh no, I'm not wired like that. I'm kind of wired. At seven, more. you knew this? Uh, yes, young. Jeez. I was like, I'm a <laughs> I'm a wavy line. I'm not a straight line. And so it was a very big dichotomy for me through my youth. Is I'm like, man, everybody says if you you're in church, you got to be like this, and I'm not like that. And it took a long time for for me to realize God's sitting there, kind of chuckling, going, dude. I put you together. I know exactly how you're made, and I don't need you to be this. I need you to reach people that are also made like this. And and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, you know what you said a second ago. I think a lot of parents need to hear too. Is I think it's I think it's in- interesting too. And I've had you know Nicholas, who's 13 now, Leah, who's 11, and both of mine got saved at a little bit of a later age. And I was very much the type of person because I felt like at any time I could go with Nicholas in his bedroom and have him say the prayer. Like I, I could, I could do that. Like I could, I could force that on him. I could, I could make him make a choice. But I was really cognizant of I wanted them to feel it. Like and, and Leah asked me like when when will I know? I was like you'll know. Like you'll you'll absolutely feel it. Like your kids are going to experience. Like a lot of y'all that grow grow up in church and your kids are in church. Like. God's going to make his presence felt and they're going to feel it. And he's going to remove those scales and it's going to be clear as clear as day. Um, but I, I do think it's a, it's a question we've had in a small group before is like, Hey, do I, do I push the envelope with them? And, and, and you obviously have been around for, for years with that too. I mean, I've always, how do you feel about that? Like I've, I wanted them to be very clear in their decision-making. Your, your mom's fighting you down the aisle. Like, right. Like why, you know, or the, do you push the envelope? Like, how have you, how have you always handled yeah, that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you push the envelope because I think every, every child is different. And so, so Jolan's our oldest. When he was four years old, I mean, he understood it. He wanted to get baptized. And I was in seminary at the time, and we were learning how to baptize people. And I would actually practice baptizing him 
in the swimming pool. And so he's, he's literally been baptized thousands of times. <laughs> and, so uh, I might be a redneck. But why do we practice that? Just out of curiosity. You needed to walk through it and hear it out audibly and timing. Like, you, it's, uh, let me, I mean, let me be I honest. Know, a lot I don't of know that I really needed to practice it. Okay, but, it but your, a lot of your job is really difficult. That's not one of them that's really difficult. Well, that's not a difficult thing. But it's just it was something close to him that he wanted to get baptized. So I think it's maybe more... We just did it a lot because he wanted it, but we we pushed him to wait till he was eight, and then our other our youngest child Jesse, she you know she kept we kept thinking what what's going on what's going on and she wasn't baptized I think till she was maybe twelve, okay. so it was a matter each child's different I think Julia was eight but then Jolyn did a spontaneous baptism, what were you fourteen, when you came we came down front and. Yeah. You know you know it's unfortunate with the the Pollock family or the Family Goals podcast is. We only have three mics. We didn't have enough funds to purchase oh, I didn't three. So Jolyn, didn't have a mic. Jolyn got the shaft because of our guest. Jolyn usually has a mic, Jeff, but now I feel bad. I feel yeah. like a rooted Jolyn. <laughs> <laughs> so he was fourteen. So you didn't. What about salvation with with uh, Jesse? Well, we kept we kept, and she's heard it thousands and thousands of I know. times. Well, um, and she prayed the prayer, but was, as far as baptism and going public, we she was twelve. Yeah, she we, she waited so. Yeah. I just um, think it's an I think it's an interesting thing to juggle as a parent, as a as a Christian parent who really wants their kids to go down that path, and that's what you really want for them. I I, I feel like God's going to make it very clear for them. If not, you're going to be all the time. And listen, I, I'll be honest. Can, I'll confess right now. Like I'm still the guy that prays the prayer just to make sure it's still there. Like I'm still mm-hmm. I'm still that guy in my 30s that do that. Um, but I think I I don't know. I was just. I really wanted my kids to have that moment that I had when it was like, oh, my goodness. And it just grabbed a hold of you. So I don't think there's a right or wrong and, answer. And, but And then I think getting to the point where they're developing a faith of their own. Oh, of yeah. course, with, with our kids growing up, in yeah. the, yeah, they're preacher's kids. And so there's all of these jokes. I don't know. You, you probably have some preacher jokes or oh, some. Yeah. You got any preacher jokes? Do you have you any know, preacher the, jokes? I always felt bad for preachers because I always felt like preachers never got to hear the good jokes. You know, because <laughs> people are like, oh, it's the preacher. Don't tell that one. Don't tell that one. I always felt bad for preachers. Well, we want you to, we want you to drop one at some point. And if you can do it, you can do it now. I don't, are, we, are you no. somebody we can just push on, on a button no, and you play? No, I'm, I'm too old for oh, that. I had, a, I had a guy, I told one of the guys in our men's discipleship group that uh, I think Foxworth is going to be on the on the podcast. And he goes, "Oh, I got a joke. I want you to uh, share." He's with n- him. he's never heard that before. And, uh, and I said, well, what, what, "What's the joke?" He said, "Well, it's not clean." <laughs> well, then so not then he didn't tell me. He didn't tell you. So to my point, you never get to hear the good joke. Hey, uh, so when we were at game day, um, and Jeff, Jeff was a celebrity picker. You know, this has been a little while ago, but um, he did he did great jokes about other colleges. So give me the best two or three. You might be a redneck if you were uh, if you're at so and so school. Well, they called and they said, "Can you do? You might be a Texas A and M fan or Florida Gator." So uh, one of them was, if when you sign up for fall classes, they ask if you would also like to play football, you might be a Vanderbilt Commodore. (laughs) Uh, What was the Florida one? The, if you have the ugliest uniforms in college football, and I know there's probably a Florida fan out there, that's the ugliest uniform that, and, and every combination of it's the ugliest. I, I am such a dog that I think the 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 worst thing, the second worst thing that happened in 2019 was COVID 19. The worst thing was Florida beat Georgia. That's, <laughs> uh. By the way, I, I don't think like there there are 
there are there are Georgia fans out there, and we and we're gonna we're probably talking to a lot of them. This dude texts me probably once a week on recruiting. Yeah. Like he's all in. Like I'm this isn't. He's not like he's not like a, a a fair weather Georgia fan. Like he's following recruiting. He'd be like, "Are we going to get so and so? Are we, we going to get so and so soon? Are we going to get so and so?" I mean, he is, yeah, all so what, in. So, what are your thoughts? Die on hard, Georgia, number one in the nation, national championship this year. What are you? I what don't are your say that. I've you, you, growing up in Georgia. I don't jinx? say <laughs> that. I'm, I'm totally with Kirby. We need to get better every week. Let's. We're we're playing against ourselves. We need to get better at, every week and. If we do, the outcome will take care of itself. So it's the journey is more important. That's called that's called that's years called of being the Atlanta yes, sports. Yes, fan. that's called twenty eight to three in the Super Bowl. That's yeah. called that's called we've been that's called us uh, fourth and twenty two or uh, second and twenty six against Alabama. Like it's just we've been so condi- like listen when I'm on TV, I don't know like PTI asked me about it. And they're asking me about how are Georgia fans. I'm like listen, nothing to see here. Nothing to see. yes. There's nothing. <laughs> Move on. We got a cute. You know what? We're just going to hope we stumble into the SEC championship. Yep. Hopefully, we stumble into a natty. Like, hopefully, we can just get there. If we get there, you know. Now, listen. I don't know if the Braves changes this or not. It didn't for me. Like, I, I was excited. I was jacked up for the Braves. But it's it's deep rooted. Like, you're. He's an LSU guy, by the way. I didn't know if you, you knew that, but my um, wife's from Louisiana. Okay. So, but here's the deal. I like I just tell people. The Braves this year, it was so fun because it was unexpected. Because when yep. Acuna got hurt, I said, season done, we're done. July, then, your odds are awful, you're under 500. Anthopolis does such an amazing job of bringing these guys in, not mm-hmm. giving anything up. And so we didn't expect it, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how fun. You take – I see, I didn't want to be ranked number one as early as we were. So if we get to the end of this road – and Georgia doesn't win the national championship, the pain is going to be so bad because people are going, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. Well, it's the same way with the Braves in the 90s every year. We're the best, we're the best, we're the best. When they didn't deliver, it just broke your heart. Mm -hmm. So it was almost better the way the Braves were. It's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. How cool. It's so, so exciting. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Move along, Georgia fans. So getting back to testimony and kids growing up, Oh, we're doing. A po- we're not doing a sports podcast. Face of their own. Well, okay. we we can talk okay. about sports. It's part. Of, it's part of our podcast. You know. You know what I. Th- what I think is. A, can I steer it for a minute? You could I, um, drive it, bro. We we uh, so just don't crash it. So a, f- a few years ago, I, I, I'm doing an interview, and the lady asked me a question. She said, "Okay, you do stand up. You write books. You host TV shows. You do voiceovers. Which one are you?" And I thought, well, that's a interesting question nobody's ever put it that way and I said to her I said well all of those are things that I do and I love what I do I think I was I don't know why I can do it I don't know why you know you can play football and I don't know why if you say to me write 20 jokes about Thanksgiving I can just sit down and do it I can I don't know why I could do it. it's totally God it's a gift mm. So I said, all of those are things that I do, and I love what I do, and I think I'm probably doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But who I am is I'm a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a person in this community. I said, so through the course of my life, what I do may change multiple times. But hopefully who I am stays consistent. And I think... 
especially for men, that's something we really struggle with. So much of our identity is in what we do. Mm-hmm. And you think about when you ask a little kid, if you ask a little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she says, I want to be a mom. That's a totally acceptable and cool answer. How many little boys have you ever said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And had them say, I want to be a dad. I want to be a father. They don't. They, I, want, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a football player. I want to be a best. So somewhere culturally, we've wired it that way, where it's okay for, for a girl to want to be a mom, but a, but a little boy never thinks about being a dad. And it goes back to our identity. And, and, and for me, it went back to my priorities. Like, I knew what it felt like not to have a dad. So even though I had a job that took me to a different city every night, and that's kind of the struggle. I mean, you know this with what you do. Um, I spent 15 years, I would rent a plane and say I had a show in St. Louis on Friday night. I would fly to St. Louis. I would do the show, but it, and I would do everything I needed to do before it, meet people, take pictures, sign stuff, whatever. But as soon as I walked off stage, I Got walked on. out the back door and I got back on that plane, and I flew home. I may not get home till 2, 2.30 in the morning, but Saturday morning I got up, and I went to soccer games, or I went to softball games, or I went to basketball games. And then that afternoon I'd get back on the plane, and I'd fly to Minneapolis and do a show. And for 15 years, and I look back and I go, when did I sleep? I, I learned to sleep on a plane, but I spent a fortune doing that, but it gave me 100 more days a year with my kids. Because they were the priority. So even though I'm a comedian, even though I'm on TV, or even though I'm right, my identity and my priority was to, to be a dad. And one of the ways you'd be a great dad, and you and I have hit on this a little bit, I had all girls. And so I wanted to love their mother in such a way that I set a high standard for any guy that they were going to go after. I mean, I've been married 36 years, and most of the flowers. Time, Tell about the flowers. Public, I, I buy my wife flowers every single week. Randy gets flowers every week. Every week. Every single. Every week. week. Every single week, I get my wife. What flowers. What kind of flowers? She likes um, irises the best, but I, I mean, whatever she. I mean, it's whatever's pretty. But I buy her flowers every single week. Mm. Um, I take her on a date. I treat her like she's my girlfriend, and. So my girls watching that growing up, you know, and and I like like I've been married thirty six years. I still open the car door for her in the garage when nobody's there to see it. And when we get there, I get out and I open her door. Well, my son in law, you know, the first time he's doesn't do that. I go, you know, it says a lot to her if you just go around and open that door. Let's her know how important she is. He does it, you know. So. But I think as a parent, whether you're a wife or a husband, that that relationship you have in your marriage, I I don't know anybody that has a great marriage that isn't a great parent. You know, and what I did, I didn't have an example of a great dad. So I started looking around and go, oh, that guy's a great dad. So as I got older, that's, that's whose head I went and picked. I went and looked at guys that were great dads and said, tell me what I need to know about being a dad. What do I not know that I need to know? What do I need to know about having a great marriage? Go pick somebody's head. 
I mean, I would imagine you do that in ball when you see a guy that's got a move you don't have. You go over and go, dude, teach me how to do that. And, and well, nowadays we have so much access to podcasts and info. Like you have mm-hmm. access to more information than ever. Like if you want to be an expert on something, there's not an excuse. Well, there's not an excuse. You can learn anything you want to know. On anything. Anything. But it's also looking around and going, you know, like I always told my kids, I said, you look around in life and you look at somebody and you go, I want my life to look like that. I want, I said, I guarantee you, whoever you pick, they're not a self-centered person. They're an other-centered person. But you look at your aunt, Mm -hmm. your uncle, your cousin, the guy down the street, and you go, oh, I want, that guy knows, he's got it figured out. He's, he knows how to live a good life or she knows how to live a good life. Guarantee you, they're, they're not self-focused. That's one of the keys to life is not being mm-hmm. a self. I don't know a self-focused person that is a happy person. Everybody I know that's that has a degree of contentment, they're others focused. So we've talked about this before, but talk about, so you talked about that. That's what you did with your kids, but obviously your kids grow up, your kids leave. And now, you know, it's you and Randy, but you're doing tours. And talk about, I mean, you've talked about this, and I think this is awesome. The group goes out and does its own thing. What would Jeff do? Well, like when we were doing the blue collar tour, it's like the guy we'd get through with it, and the guy was like, "Come on, Fox, let's go have a beer or whatever." I don't think a beer is going to send you to hell. I don't. It, it, alcohol has just never really been my thing. I'm, it just didn't do it for me. But here's what I knew about me, and here's what I came from. Drugs never did it for me. Alcohol didn't do it for me. But I appreciate a good-looking girl. And I knew if I went in there and had a beer and we were sitting around having fun and I might have another one. And then if somebody pretty that smelled good sat down next to me, I knew what I was vulnerable to. But here's the thing about trust. You gain trust, whether it's with your kid, with your spouse, with your friends. You gain it a drop at a time. One drop in the cup, one drop in the cup, one drop in the cup. You lose it all at once. Once Mm. you break trust, you empty that cup. Never and, heard that. I love that. And I knew I knew what I was vulnerable to. And so I would say, you know what? I'm just going to go to the room. I'm going to call home and order room service. Come on, you fuddy-duddy. I'm like, no, I'm actually not being a fuddy-duddy. I'm, I'm being wise because I'm not going to walk into a place that I'm going to, A, break that trust with my wife, and, B, break that trust with my kids. And, and I'm telling you, when you break that trust with your kids, it's never the same. It's like you break that porcelain bowl. You might glue it back together, but it doesn't look the same. And so you are you are dropping some incredible. Isn't that wisdom. awesome? Yeah. As we talk, we talk a lot on the podcast about boundaries, and yeah. I've always applied. I have strong convictions about not drinking, but I also have. I call it the Billy Graham rule, and, and Billy Graham is an amazing example of, of course, the impact that he's had, but. But if you just look at his character and his example, but Billy Graham would never put himself in a in a room or in an opportunity with someone of the opposite sex alone with someone. So he wouldn't ride in an elevator with someone alone. He wouldn't obviously. Well, an ride elbow, in a car. elevator, you got to be pretty fast to pull that <laughs> off. Uh, that that's, but, that's, but his seems stand, aggressive. His but, standard was so high. Yeah. You know, like before he got into a hotel room, they would go in there and take the TV out. They would. I mean, they would take the TV really? out. Really? Oh yeah, they would. Wow. Yeah, he had some really strong Good for convictions. Him. But I think the boundary, the reason you set those boundaries, like you said, this, not that you were against going out and having a beer with your buddies, but it was like, what could that lead to? Well, I knew what I was vulnerable to. Mm-hmm. 
And it, you know, I mean, I'm, if somebody said, hey, you want to do heroin? I'd go, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, say hello to Chandra. It's like, hello, Chandra. <laughs> you know, so it's like, just be wise. Don't put yourself mm-hmm. in an environment where you could break that trust. And, I'm, I'm, and and so when I'm saying that, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying I'm imperfect. I'm vulnerable mm-hmm. to this. And so avoid it at all costs. And, and I look back, I'm so thankful that I had a job that didn't put me in an environment where I was around good-looking women. I, I'm not. I'm by myself on the road, you know, so. Well, you, you stayed out of some of those situations where you would have found it, but. Yes, yeah, but, but, th- but that was a deliberate thing. Yeah. The other, the other thing you mentioned, and I think this is where a lot of parents make mistakes, you said in order, in order to be a good dad, you first need to be a good husband. And so many families we see today become kid-centric where everything revolves around the kids and the kids' activities to the point where mom and dad are going in different directions. But I think what you said was, hey, if you want to be a good dad, be a good husband first. Are you trying to video? We're videoing this, right? Yeah. So why do you have your Greystone hats face the wrong way? Well, you're not representing. I mean, you're not showing the G. I was actually going to give these as gifts to you guys. Okay. Well, I'm just saying you could you could turn that around uh, before you. Before, <laughs> that was a total ADD moment. That was, was an not? ADD moment. That's that, people said they appreciated that about the podcast. But before before you go to that, I want to share something that I just failed on miserably. Um, so me and my wife just had a serious conversation about this. So. I have boundaries like you talk about. I don't, I don't text other women. Most of, if I get a text from somebody, I put their spouse or my wife on the text. I have tons of group text messages, sure. but I try, to, I try to stay away from that because I've seen, I've seen that do bad things personally. I've yeah. seen it, and it's not good. But, you know, what's interesting about that is I don't do it for work. Like I have a couple of girls that text me for work for schedule purposes, and I don't even think about it because it's work. It's just, it's just work. And I asked, I asked Lindsay about that, and she's like, that doesn't bother me. I mean, I just thought in my head, but they texted me about work, and they said, um, we're not picking you up because I fly out as late as I can Thursday sure. and to spend time with the kids, run practices. We do football practice and basketball practices on Thursday night. Well, they told me on Thursday night that uh, they, weren't gonna, they couldn't pick me up. The runners were going to sleep because it was so late that I was getting in, and they said to just ride with somebody. Well, I rode with another woman 20 minutes down the road in a car, and I, and I didn't even think about telling my wife about it. It was 1 a.m. You know, you, get, you fly in late. And then I told her about it Saturday night. She, I was like, you know, I got in late and me and so-and-so rode. And she was like, wait a minute, you rode in the car with another woman? To, she was like, how would, how would you feel about that if I did that? And it's a total fail job. Like, it's a total. And I've Ubered. I've Ubered before, and I was like, I've Ubered with a woman driver. She was like, are you sitting in the front seat? Mm-hmm. Are you talking to him? But it was a bad, it wasn't, it was not a calm conversation. Like she was mad. She was really upset and she had every right to be like, and I'm not telling, I'm just telling you that story because again, it's another opportunity that I, I, I put myself in a situation that you shouldn't put yourself in. And, and, and it's about respect. Like it's also about respect to my spouse. I wouldn't want her to do that in a million years. And there's no way I would justify that. Her driving at 1am with somebody else in a car, you know, down the road. And um, so what is it, my next thing is I have to, next time I'm, I'm landing this week, again, late, I'm going to Uber, no matter who's at the airport, no matter, you know, who's there. But that's, that's it's just another example. Like, you, you put those guardrails, and you talk, we talk mm-hmm. about guardrails all the time. That's a fail, man. Like, well, and we don't drive off the road. You don't 
most of the people that go into the woods don't make a 90-degree turn. It's a slow. It's a slow drift. Mm-hmm. And once that becomes okay, then what's the, oh, so then the next time it's late, you haven't eaten, is it okay for you, for you and this woman to go sit there and get something to eat? And now you're drifting a little further off the road. And that's how it happens. You you don't get in the car and rip your clothes. I mean, it's a slow drift. And so I I think you have to have, what what is my goal? It's almost like the Georgia football. What is my goal this year? You know, my goal is to to win it all. I want want to finish strong and win it all. Well, same thing in your marriage. What, What is my goal here? So if I'm doing something that's got the potential to take me away from that goal, I need to correct that. You know, nope. I heard one of the players say, I think it was Nolan Smith said, on Monday we go to the doctor and we fix what's wrong with us. Well, I mean, good for you, good for Lindsay to say, you know what, don't let that happen because that's, that's a drift that can, that can go wrong. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us for part two of our interview with Jeff Foxworthy. I absolutely love how he said we need to do whatever it takes to protect the most important relationships in our lives, the relationship uh, with our spouse and the relationship that we have with our kids. And I think an important question for each of us to ask is have we set up those guardrails in our lives? What boundaries, what convictions do we need to set up so that we can protect those important relationships? We have one more week with Jeff Foxworthy, so I hope you'll join us next week for Family Goals with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay for our final installment with Jeff Foxworthy.